Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 403 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to today's super inspiring guest, poet Jericho Brown is on the show. I'm so excited to share this interview with you, but first, I'm gonna tell you a little bitty story about a little bitty bird, and I have to thank the amazing people who are keeping the lights on and making these podcasts possible over on Patreon. Thank you so much to those of you who have been supporting the show over on Patreon. And I want to give a special shout out to new patrons. Hello and thank you, Magic and Moonbeams, Amy Greenwood, Holly Mandel, Duke Knight, Duke Knight, I'm not going to give out your email address, but your email address, your name, Duke Knight, makes me think man, and your email address makes me think woman. So are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you something in between? Are you both? I don't know, but I'm curious to know. (laughs) Maybe pop over to Discord and introduce yourself, because that's where a lot of us patrons were hanging over on Discord now, because Patreon does this awesome thing where they partner with these other platforms so we can all hang out together and do live chats, and I think that's super groovy. Also, thank you to Nikki... Fugal? I don't know how to pronounce this. When a G and an L are together and they end a word, how do you say that? Fugal. <laughs> I know that you are Jess's sister, and I'm very pleased to have sisters supporting me over on Patreon. So thank you very much, Nikki. And then also a brand new patron today, Julian Rouch. Sorry for totally botching your name there, Julian, but thank you so much for supporting the show over on Patreon. So let me tell you my little bitty story about the little bitty bird. I already told you what I thought was the complete story. However many weeks ago, I told you about when the kid and I I had a really, really busy day. I was sitting and catching up with my son, He had just gotten home from his program and I was, you know, taking a moment to hang with my kid in between my busy, busy day, the tasks of the busy, busy day. And I heard a little chirping coming from the front steps. And when I went out, there was this cute, chubby little bird who clearly could not fly because he definitely would not sit there, this baby bird with me you know, all up in his face. I took a picture of him with Tanner's iPad and he wasn't moving. And so I told Tanner to get a box and a towel and we we tried, he tried to catch him at first because he's really, really good with bugs. He's very gentle with insects and I figured he would be good with birds, but the bird was not having it. And that's when we realized he had a broken wing 
because he could only just kind of hop away. And then his little his little wing was sticking out. It was very sad. So I took the towel and I caught him very gently, put him in the box. And then that's when my busy, busy day <laughs> turned into the bird rescue adventure. I was like, screw it. This is the stuff of life. And we're just going to have this moment. I couldn't bear to leave the bird on the front steps outside because I knew that not only would he be cat food in no time, but that the cats would spend hours torturing him to death in the process. And it was just too sad. And I called the Humane Society, which is a couple cities over in Pasadena, and they said I could keep the bird in a box in our house until somebody could come out maybe the next day to get the bird. But I didn't know how to keep him alive. So I was like, we'll just drive him to you. So we drove the bird to the Humane Society. And I know from rescuing a raven, actually, several years ago, I know the deal. <laughs> the deal is this. When you get to the Humane Society or the Rescue Center, they will have you sign some kind of clearance agreement that you are not going to call and bug them about the bird. You do not get to check up on them. They are not going to call you to tell you how it's doing because they may choose to rescue the bird or they may choose to put the bird down. This is probably true of other animals, but I've only ever rescue, rescued birds, so I don't know. But they don't want you... You know, it's animal lovers, passionate animal lovers that rescue these guys. And so they don't want you nerding out and bugging them and checking on the animals all the time, I believe, and making their job that much harder. And it's sad when, when you have to put an animal down. But it's a heck of a lot less sad than getting batted around by the neighborhood cats for hours on end. So I figured it was a win-win either way. We signed the clearance. We left the bird there. And I figured that was the end of it. And then, this is so crazy. When did this happen? I'm forgetting the timeline, but a couple weeks later, I posted a picture of Tanner at the Humane Society holding the box with the bird. I posted that on Instagram because it's a really cool picture. It just came out kind of artsy. And I do that. I'll hang on to a picture for a while before I end up posting it on Instagram. And I did that. And then I can't remember if it was that I think it was that afternoon, that same afternoon. Was it the next day or that afternoon? I feel like it was that very afternoon. My phone rang and it was a call from the Calabasas Wildlife Center. And if you don't know Los Angeles, let me tell you, Pasadena is way, 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 way in one direction. And Calabasas is way, way, way in another direction. These places are not close to each other at all. It could be a two-hour drive if you get stuck to traffic. And so I was like, why is the Calabasas Wildlife Center calling me? Well, apparently they wanted to know my address, where I lived, because they chose to save the little baby bird and they wanted to return him to his home. They wanted to come bring him back exactly to the address where he was found and then release him back to his place of origin. Is that so cute? I just love that. <laughs> Not that they're going to come knocking on the door and be like, hello, here's your baby bird. I think they're just going to, I'm sure he's been released already because this has been a while since I got this call. And when I was taking out the trash one day, I saw what I thought was our, our, little, our little black Phoebe. I asked them if they could tell me what kind of bird it was. And they said he was a black Phoebe. I have, I have fond, 
fond feelings for the name Phoebe. So I was like, oh, oh, our little bird is a black Phoebe. And I just, it really touched me that some people can be so nice. You know, like this bird has been transported from Glendale to Pasadena, from Pasadena to Calabasas, from Calabasas to Glendale, and somewhere in there, somebody did some little bird surgery on his wing, and this was all on a volunteer basis to save one bird. And I just think that's so sweet. And I wanted to share that with you because I know you all are a bunch of animal lovers. And I hope that if you're not all a bunch of poetry lovers, that today's episode will change your mind. I myself am a lover of poetry, and I know some of you are too, but as a whole, are we collectively a bunch of poetry lovers? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like this is the episode that might change all of that. It could. It could. And I, I believe that a great poem contains all the paradox that makes a person truly human. We are complex contradictory beings filled with hope and fear and anger and love and and I believe a great poem really captures that so because this interview is pretty brief Jericho Brown is an extraordinarily busy man right now because he is touring for his new book The Tradition I was super lucky just to get him on the show and so we did a quick like fly by the seat of our pants interview and there's actually a few like pops and bangs too because I think he was literally like moving around his home while we were talking but it's all good because it's a huge honor to have him on the podcast right now but I thought to give you some context for this interview and why I was so excited that he said yes to come on the show and why I pursued him at all in the first place, I thought I would read to you his poem, Four Day in the Morning. Just keep in mind that this is written by a black man from the South and I am a white valley girlish <laughs> California girl. So, you know, there there's going to be something lost in the translation, but I will do my best. My mother grew morning glories that spilled onto the walkway toward her porch because she was a woman with land who showed as much by giving it color. She told me I could have whatever I worked for. That means she was an American, but she'd say it was because she believed in God. I am ashamed of America and confounded by God. I thank God for my citizenship in spite of the timer set on my life to write these words. I love my mother. I love black women who plant flowers as sheepish as their sons. By the time the blooms unfurl themselves for a few hours of light, the women who tend them are already at work. Blue. I'll never know who started the lie that we are lazy, but I'd love to wake that bastard up at 4 day in the morning, toss him in a truck, and drive him under God past every bus stop in America to see all those black folk waiting to go work for whatever they want. A house? A boy to keep the lawn cut? Some color in the yard? My God, we leave things green. 
Ah, oh, I love that. I love that so much. My God, we leave things green. There are so many layers to that poem. I don't know what you all got from it. And uh, that's that's the interesting thing about poetry, though. Everybody gets something different from it. You may have seen it in Time Magazine. I did not know that it was published there, but we talk about that in this interview. And I personally, I think a lot about the impact that art makes on society and how sometimes a book or a movie or a song or a poem, in this case, that cuts deep can at least has the potential to create a greater shift than even a really big political movement. So Black Lives Matter, for example, is a necessary vital movement of our time, but for Black Lives to matter in an intimate, personal way for someone who is not Black, particularly someone who has never had a real friendship with a person of color uh, or hasn't worked closely with someone who is black. And there are plenty of white communities like that. And I'm not even saying that, that, that someone like Jericho Brown would ever write with a person like that in mind. Like, I think what his work primarily does is creates the experience of feeling seen and heard for people that can relate to his point of view. But I think there's this side benefit of other people, because we're all human inside, other people that have had a vastly different experience of life, all of a sudden they get to walk in his shoes and look through his eyes. And for a person like that, I think it is really powerful if they're willing to read a poem one day. Pick up a book, people, and read a poem. It can change your life. Art like that creates empathy. It creates empathy in a way that marching in the streets typically can't do. And I am not saying that protests and social movements don't make a difference. I am saying that politics and art go hand in hand and that they can amplify each other to create the desired change not just in the rule books but in the hearts and minds of everyday people and that is how you how you create change that lasts this is also not a political show okay today or otherwise <laughs> i just i just feel fired up about that when i read his work that's just a byproduct for me of reading his work and as a lover, a lifelong lover of poetry, I feel honored to have one of the best poets in the world, in my opinion, on the podcast today. And like I said, it's a really quick interview. He didn't have a lot of time, but I think it still packs a punch. He makes some great points about work as play, which is something that I've been thinking a lot about this year. He talks about not becoming imprisoned by your desires, but living them free. Freedom is definitely a key word for him. Freedom and joy, which you know I'm all about. He talks about how your insecurities are really illusions, conspiracies, theories of one, as he as he calls them, which I loved. And, and then for you new thought movement junkies, you will be happy to hear that he is down with Ernest Holmes and the science of mind in addition to Jesus. He's, he's a complex, layered person, which, which makes him all the more interesting. So there is some great life advice 
woven throughout this, and I am so pleased now to present you with this chat with the author of The Tradition, Jericho Brown. Hi, Jericho. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hey, how are you, Joanna? I'm very good. Now that I'm getting to speak with you, I'm so new to your work, and you made an instant shocking impression on me the day that I found you. (laughs) So it's pretty fun to get to speak with you now. Well, I'm just glad I get to do it, too. I'm, um, I've been on the road since March, I would say, 16th, and I haven't been home more than two nights, maybe three. I think a, a couple times I came home for three nights. So I'm home. I got home last night, and I'll be here for something like 10 to 14 days. So I'm really excited just to sit on my own couch and sleep in my own bed. It's been a wonderful tour, um, exhilarating, actually, but also exhausting, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's... Um, and it's a lot of work being on the road. So, but I'm glad that I'm not on the road today, and that it gives me a chance to to talk to you. More talk, more talking to people. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, what a strange, awesome opportunity to basically be a rock star poet. To be, You're so kind. I mean, how unusual. I mean, I'm sure so many people dream about the kind of reception that you're having right now, and people oh. are really excited about your work as a poet. And I know. Any kid that goes to their mom and dad and says, I want to be a poet, there's like a 95% chance that their parents are going to freak out. And here you are showing that that's an actual possibility. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sort of, um, I'm just grateful. It's all, it's all extra, to be quite honest with you, Joy and I had a first book come out back in 2008. That book is called Please. And that was my dream. My dream was to have a book of poetry, and that happened. And I decided then and there that everything else that could happen would be extra. Do you know what I mean? And so all of these wonderful things that are going on, I'm jumping up and down, and I'm just joyful about them. Um, I'm really glad that people are doing what it takes to have me come to whatever venue they have me come to. I'm glad that people come to the readings and ask the best questions. People ask the greatest questions about poetry and just about life in general. And it gives me an, it gives me an opportunity to say what I'm thinking, you know, to figure out, you know, when somebody asks you a question, like what we're doing now, you get to figure out what you're thinking. If the question is asked on the spot. So I love doing Q and A's and I like the opportunity to share the poems with people who may have read them and want to hear them in my voice and the opportunity to share poems with people who haven't heard poems in a long time or at all mm-hmm. read out loud, you know? So it's nice. It's nice that it's nice that the book is, is doing so well. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad people, I'm glad people are buying the book and reading the book, you know, not and just buying it we're as talking a coffee about, table. We're talking about your third book, your new book, yeah. the tradition, my, book, my new book, the tradition, my baby book, right? The tradition came out. April 2nd. So she's still a little bitty girl, you know, um, and she's done so much. It's like she's walking early on her own. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, so I'm very excited about the tradition. She's a she's exciting to me. And she's, I, you know, I have I never had as much fun writing a book as I did writing this book. I also was not ever um, as afraid of writing a book before. Um, these poems really came after me. I was writing uh, in the middle of the night, I would have to pull over on the side of the road to write. I was pulling out my phone on elevators, trying to get lines down. There was a lot. It was just a great, wonderful and fertile time of plenty when it came to lines and when it came to poetry. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so um, I was, you know, working my job, going to meetings, teaching my classes, going to meet with students, doing all kinds of things that are just the day to day thing. And uh, whatever time I had spare, I was working on this book. So when it came out, I was I made a promise that because it came to me as that kind of gift that I was going to give a gift back to it and do whatever I needed to do to stand behind my work and to promote it. Cause I want people to know about it. I really feel strongly about some of the things that I got to say in this book. And so I'm really glad that I got to say them. Although I had no idea that that's what the book would be, you know? Yeah. I'm just a few weeks into my Jericho Brown fandom, but what I do know is I think you were a well-prepared Vessel. This is your third book. The book that came out before this was the New Testament. You are an educated man. And so I just think you were so prepared that source, God, the universe, whatever, wherever we get these beautiful poems, they they just poured through you. You were just the perfect vessel to be the channel for this work. Yeah. And if there's anything that I'm sort of telling my students and students all over the world and poetry readers and just literate people or illiterate people. The thing that I'm telling people all over the world when they ask about how this feels, part of the reason why it feels right is that you're exactly right. I've been preparing for it. You know, um, if you want to do something well, then you have to practice. You have to have some discipline about it. And um, I've been preparing. I've I've read a lot of poems and I've written a lot of poems to lead to the poems that are in this book. And uh, I think it's like anything else we do well. I often ask people, you know, if they drive, if they can remember the first, you know, we forget what it was like the first time we tried to drive. And it's so funny, you know, with something like poetry, people really think, oh, my poem will be good after the first time. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's it's not like that. Uh, it's like anything else you do, like cooking. You know, if you can cook something well, uh, the first time, the reason why you cooked it well is because you failed at it a few times at the in the beginning, you know? Yeah. Um, and we have to become, we have to change our relationship to failure in our society and in our culture. We have to think about failure more like the way you would think about play. Uh, we're so bent out of shape about winners and losers when uh, I'm not really interested in competition. I'm interested in contribution. I know that what I do, only I can do. And what's important is that I write the poems that Jericho Brown can write. You know, just like this podcast, John, you need to make the podcast that only you can make, right? Um, in the sea of podcasts, yes. that doesn't mean that your job is to compete with anybody else's podcast. It means for you to give the gift that only you can give. And that's going to be different for each one of us, you know? And so it's been wonderful with this book in particular, because I think it's really the manifestation of my gift. Uh, It's a representation of my soul on earth, you know? Absolutely. And I want to say that this is all for people who are new to your work. This is all being said by a teacher, a teacher of English and creative writing at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. So <laughs> that that teacher in you just like comes out. I ask a question and, and it's class all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I work with young people. I work with um, the students at Emory are really great in there. The writers who take my classes are, oh my God, they're so talented. I would have never, I, I was never so accomplished and talented and capable as they are at 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22 years old. They're amazing. And I think um, encouraging them uh, has given me a lot of practice, really, 
on how to go about encouraging myself. You know, I notice some of their their stresses and their anxieties. And I, I, I can recognize in it myself when I was 20 years old and I had similar stretch, stresses and anxieties. But and, I, and so I can tell them the thing that I needed to be told or the thing that I, I really needed to hear at that time. But the other thing that I get to do is I can recognize um, the stresses and anxieties that I still have, although I'm no longer 20 years old. You know what I mean? And, and I can sort of recognize that and, and put a stop to it and be honest with myself about what's true. Because often, often what we're telling ourselves to hold ourselves back are simply illusions. They're like conspiracy theories of one, you know, and every once in a while you just have to sit yourself down and tell yourself the truth. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so over and over again, I try to tell my students, I try to tell myself, like, just remind yourself of what you're really doing and, and what what's allowed for it and Think about how well things have gone, you know, Um, and if you can do that, then you've got something on your hands. I love the way that your entire demeanor changed when you brought up your students. You have like this very measured way of talking and then all of a sudden it was just like joy and love (laughs) and I totally felt that. I hope some of them hear this so they they probably get a sense of that from you anyway just by being in your classes, but that's beautiful. Yeah, they're great. I get on their nerves, but I like they, I, I, they they like me in the end. But you know, when you're a teacher, it's like um, you're always going back and forth between nurturing and challenging. And so, you know, when I challenge, I challenge all the way. You have to do that because you know they're in they're in a class and they want to learn. And we're sort of making this incubator. We're making this um, to switch metaphors. We're making a greenhouse, and a lot of what they get takes other people a lifetime to get because they don't get to get it in a class over the period of 15 weeks that we're together. So, yeah, yeah I, I, think I feel it. like reading one of your poems is like that. I'm like, well, let me tell people how I found you and tell you. So it was so random. It was social media. Daniel Laporte posted a picture of this guy and that caught my eye because she is a white woman. And in this picture was a black man. And I was like, that's not Danielle. What's she talking about? And all I saw was like this gigantic, joyful smile and muscles, Mm -hmm. muscles. I was like, whoa, (laughs) that dude works out, you know, and you had great personal style. And so I think I think I'm only mentioning that because it's interesting how image one image can capture your attention. And then the next thing you know, you're crying your face off because you're reading a poem. She posted uh, one of your poems called Four Mm -hmm. Day in the Morning. Yeah. And yeah. It, it is a classroom because I'm I'm yeah. sitting there thinking about mothers and God and America mm-hmm. and like what it means to be a black person in America. And I'm just like, what just happened to me? I just thought I was clicking on a picture. Yeah. It's incredible. I, um, I'm so glad that people like that poem and that it's been shared. And when I say shared, I don't really just mean retweeted and reposted. What I mean is there is something about that poem I've noticed where people are passing it back and forth with their friends and with their loved ones and with their families. And I'm just glad to see that poetry still can do that. And I'm obviously, I'm glad that one of my poems is doing that, but the fact that poetry itself can be shared among people and create community and that people can begin to look at one another in that way and, and handle that. Um, that makes me really, really excited. I'm really particularly glad about Four Day in the Morning because, you know, that poem first appeared in Time magazine. 
And when it did, I was all excited because Time Magazine hadn't had poems appear there since the 1950s. Oh, wow. yeah, it was really an exciting moment for me as a writer to to be able to introduce people to poems and to poetry in time again. And so that that means that means the world to me as well. Yeah, that's incredible that I feel that so, there's something about the book, the tradition that, you know, you were saying it's like just a baby, but it's already like it's walking early. I think think she's a little genius. Yeah, I'm very honored (laughs) to get to talk to you at this point because I have a feeling like the next time I turn on Oprah, you're going to be sitting there, you know, (laughs) I'm just like, that would be nice. For sure. She would love your work. I'm I'm certain of it. Are you? She's pretty great. She's a sweetheart. Are you prepared for that? Um, Well, you know, let me tell you what I do. And And we'll use that to talk about whether or not. I'm prepared. I try to, um, every day of my life, I try to read a little something that's not poetry. Usually it's prose. But so, and it's usually written by somebody like Michael Bernard Beckwith or Ernest Holmes. I try to read a little something that is indeed spiritual, that's really just about the fact of the spirit, right? You know, we, we believe in mental health. We believe in physical health. And I'd like to believe that there is a spiritual health, you know? And so part of what I do is I read a little something and then right after that, I, I pray, I do a spiritual mind treatment. I do prayer and affirmative prayer allows me uh, the chance to recenter myself and to start my day in the right way. And because I do that, and if I stay up on that, like if I get that um, sort of logged in and piled up, then I think I can handle anything. You know, I'm under the impression that I can sort of take anything if I'm, constantly reminding myself of, of who I am and whose I am. So, um, yeah, I think I would be ready. I think I would have a lot of fun on anybody's couch or anybody's stage at this point because I'm a lot more, I wasn't always so comfortable and I've written, you know, a lot about that, about being a kid who wasn't always so comfortable about being an adult, a young adult who wasn't always so comfortable. I wasn't always so comfortable with myself. I had so many insecurities about who I was. And I think, uh, now I'm a lot more comfortable, uh, a lot more confident in who I am. And I think the thing to remember, no matter whose stage it is, whether it's Oprah's or anybody else, is that uh, we should be having a good time. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so my God. I just, yes. I try to show up and have a good time, you know, so whatever I'm doing, I'm having fun. Yeah. I talk a lot about work as play and you have already touched on that. I, I remember when I first saw the image I was talking about and your face was so joyful and you had the muscles and you had the style and then there was this depth in your poetry. And this is before I knew you were a teacher and that you were a gay black man from the South and like all these like things kept stacking up. Yeah. To create a more specific in picture in my mind. But I thought just the first moment that I saw you, this is a man who lives deliberately and I have to talk to him because that's what I'm mainly interested in. How do you create joy for yourself every single day despite the obstacles? How do you live deliberately? You like the muscles I keep coming back to that, but that's that's effort. That that doesn't just happen. You know, you don't mm-hmm. just wake up one day. That's that takes courage, it takes dedication, it takes commitment. And the kind of writing that you're doing does, too. So I Mm -hmm. get this impression of a well-rounded life. 
Well, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to do. Right. Um, ultimately, I want to live the life that I build for myself. And it includes that it includes reading and writing and exercise and prayer and time with my family and time with my friends. And um, lately it hasn't included as many movies as I would like. I, I, I missed Amazing Grace in the theaters, the Aretha Franklin documentary. So I had to watch it on the plane and I was sitting on the plane. I love movies so much. I was sitting on the plane and I was crying and because um, I just loved it, loved to see her sing. And um, the person next to me said, are you all right? I thought it was so sweet. Huh? So, you know, but yeah, I want I want all of what I want in my life. I want love in my life and I want to feel all of those things free. I don't want to feel like I'm um, I'm imprisoned by any of those desires. I just want to live those desires free. Uh, and I, you know, and, and so that's my intention. It's, uh, how do I, how do I live my desires and live them free? Not, not in a way that is, um, some, somehow straining. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, it, it, it takes discipline. It's true. Um, uh, but discipline really just feels like a good time often when it's something you really, you really enjoy or when you know the outcome of it will be something that you really enjoy, you know? So yeah. it becomes more um, like a pract like a playful practice. Yeah. So, okay, so you mentioned Ernest Holmes and prayer, and I'm thinking, so New Thought Movement. This, yeah. You're into the New Thought Movement, yeah. and somehow in my mind, I, I keep dragging back to you're a gay black man from the South. I'm going to assume you grew up in religion. Are you still religious? Because you're talking about prayer. And how do those how do those things come together? Because I know there's racism and homophobia <laughs> like, yeah. in the South. I've, I've read yeah. some of your poems that address that. So do you feel, are you a Christian? How would you frame that? That's a really great question. I like it. I like thinking about that. I mean, you know, it's and Christianity itself, particularly in the United States, is is a fascinating. I mean, American Christianity is a fascinating concept because it could mean anything, right? <laughs> like, so, yes. so you know, I can answer yes to that, but I'm sure, given those other things that are a part of my identity, there are people who will say, "Well, that's a tenuous yes," or "or actually, that's a no." Or do you do you understand? I mean, I feel completely like a, a Christian. I think Jesus is is really where it is, man. Um, <laughs> he has some really great ideas, and I'm interested in in emulating him and following those ideas. Do you understand what I mean? But the way I read those ideas are clearly very different from the way people um, read read those ideas. I'm not interested in legislating women's bodies. Um, I'm not interested in bombing clinics. Uh, I'm not interested in uh, what we like to call the death penalty. I'm not interested in a, a prison industrial complex, and I'm particularly not interested in a prison, prison industrial complex that uh, imprisons black and brown people in ways that it would never uh, imprison white folks. You know, and, and so if I'm going to be a Christian, I want to be a Christian from from the top to the bottom, from beginning to, to the end. And, and, and part of Christianity, uh, I think I would like to believe, I hope, for the sake of all these people who want to claim it in this country— has something to do with freedom. And I'm interested in people living free, people having what they want, people giving to one another, people loving each other no matter what. I mean, the message of Christ is a message of love, and it's a message of unconditional love. And we have to have unconditional love for one another before we get out of here. But the way we treat our planet, we don't treat our planet like people who have unconditional love for one another. Um, We're in... in, (laughs) I mean, when I think about... 
the way weather changes have become so erratic in this country and how you still have to convince people that climate change is real, you know, it's scary for me. And so, and it should be scary, I imagine, right? Like I should have a little bit of, um, of serious feeling about that. So I, so the answer to that would be yes, yes to the new thought movement. Yes to Ernest Holmes. Uh, I like to call him my Holmes boy. (laughs) Um, yes to Michael Bernard Beckwith, who really is, uh, the person who was my beginning in all of this, you know, yes to religion and the spirituality. I did grow up in a really fundamentalist um, church and community and family, uh, but I also grew up with a family who insisted that I learn to play cards, uh, who believed in partying on Friday and Saturday night, although they also believed in going to church on Sunday morning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, And you sound and yet, fond of your family. You're saying, like, spending time with my family is important, so I assume they yeah, have accepted yeah. I mean, you as you are. they get on my are. nerves, but yours gets <laughs> on your nerves, too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and it wasn't always easy. You know, me and my dad have had entire years where we weren't speaking, and it's not, you know, it's not easy for a lot of people I don't know why. Like, I don't understand what difference it makes to folk. But people really, this whole thing with sexuality, with the fact of queer people, with gay people, with the fact of queer people, period, people really get caught up on that. Um, And you could tell that they're getting caught up on it because of themselves and not, you know, I think when people try to pull out religion as a reason for their mistreatment of queer people, as an excuse for their hatred of gay people. I think that's the worst thing that you can do to God. Um, Using God as an excuse for your human foibles is, that's absolutely humiliating. And folk ought to be ashamed of themselves for doing it. I think it's okay to admit to yourself that you have a prejudice and to deal with your prejudice, you and your therapist. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. I think it's taking Christ out of Christianity because I think Jesus would be hanging with everybody who's being persecuted for whatever, their sexuality, the color of their skin, what have you, whatever it is like those are probably the people Jesus would be hanging with and defending if he yeah. wasn't one of those people himself well, yeah yeah well he definitely would not be interested in harming those people right no I mean, one thing Jesus never did was harm the only people that Jesus the only thing the only time Jesus Jesus got mad Money. and one of those times <laughs> he wasn't really mad there's one time and there's a couple times in the Bible where he's not really mad he's just a little um, sassy whenever he talks to his mama he's like woman I'm like are you talking to your mama Jesus calling her woman are you crazy <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the only time that Jesus really got upset I mean, and physically violent, actually, is he is when he dealt with the money changers in the temple. So it seems to me like the only thing that Jesus didn't have very much patience for was capitalism. So uh, it's yeah, interesting it how much the tax Christianity. collectors specifically. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it seems to me that like uh, the issue that Jesus would have now is that capitalism is allowing us to institute a certain amount of mistreatment of people in our lives and in our in our country in particular. And we've got to figure out how um, how to do something that works for us if capitalism doesn't, and it doesn't seem to work. So, I mean, so those are the kinds of questions that I'm asking in life and in my poems, and that's part of the reason why I'm interested in spirituality, because, you know, when you ask questions like that, things get a little uh, stressful, you know. Um, but, I, you know, I can't dwell 
I can't dwell in anything that makes my shoulders tight. I have to dwell on the truth. You know, I have to believe in the beauty and the beauty's here. Love is here. Intelligence is here. Uh, though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, you know, uh, whether you watch a debate on the, the Democratic side or the Republican side, you wonder if wisdom, you wonder if beauty is here, but beauty must be here. I'd rather believe that than believe the opposite because I got to get up and go do the next thing every morning. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. So, so, so yeah, I, it was hard. Uh, and it's still hard. It's very difficult. Even when I think about what my life would be like if I were in love now, if I wanted to get married to a man now, um, I think it would be very difficult for people in my family and for people in my community, people in the church where I grew up, um, to deal with that and to, to have a, an understanding for that. You have a very, I don't know if I would call it skillful or just a gift that you have, but you have a way in your poems of making the reader ask these questions of themselves without, I don't know, it, they don't feel preachy to me. I don't feel like you're preaching. It just feels very raw and open and honest and it, provocative. And it's fascinating. Like I can feel so many different things and have so many different ideas just reading one poem like the one that we mentioned, but there are many others too. There's a poem called Thrive that I read online. Is that in the book, The Tradition? It's a short essay. Yeah, and it's not. that's not in the tradition. I think I'm going to do a book of those short essays where I put them all together soon. I, I'm going to link to that because I really want people to read it. Yeah, thank you so much. So what's the theme of The Tradition? I think The Tradition is about the normalization of evil. Uh, it's about how... Uh, things get out of hand and if they keep getting out of hand enough in order for us to deal with them we have we make them normal we make them seem like their old hat uh, but that's not the same as dealing with something I mean if you're really going to deal with something if you're going to handle it if you're going to resolve an issue then you got to face it head on uh, one of the reasons why people are still going in schools and shooting young people shooting 14 13 10 Five shooting children, um, and this is sort of allowed. One of the reasons why that's happened and continues to happen is because we've decided that that's the way it is and it's okay. And we have to be honest that we've decided. The other thing I think is really important is that we face the fact that we've decided it's okay so that we can turn around and say that it's not. But we're not going to be able to say that it's not okay until we face the fact that we have, as a nation, said that it's okay. When I go abroad, uh, people ask me, you know, I go to Spain, I go to Germany, I've been to other countries, and people ask me if everybody has a gun in the United States. And with the way guns sell in the United States, you would think that everybody does. So that, so the book is about that. The book is about, on one level, how that's become normal, how the conversation black black parents have with their black children about how to deal with the police. Um, that's a tradition for us in this country, and that's normal. And I don't think it should be. I don't think there should be a country that one race of people is having with their kids about how to deal with the police. So so that police don't murder them while they're unarmed. Unarmed. Part of what the book is about is um, sexual violence and rape and sexual assault and sexual harassment and sexual coercion and how when you bring these things up, people want to stop talking because they feel like, uh, you know, rape culture has us believe that these things are normal. Um, when we talk about, even when we have conversations, Joanna, about a person having been raped, we say she got raped. 
as if she went somewhere and got something. Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Even our language seems to defeat us, particularly when it comes to sexual violence in this country. So those are the kinds of things that the book is about. And part of what I'm asking is, part of what I'm asking in the book is whether or not it's true that we've made these things normal. The answer seems yes over and over again in the book. And then then the question becomes, what are we going to do about that? And how are we going to move from a place where that is who we are to a place of real freedom and real joy? And we can't have real freedom and real joy in the midst of that kind of acceptance that we're going to deal with things in that way. So that, so that's what I, what I believe the book is about. But in many ways, the book is also just about the fact of poetry. It's about me being a person with several identities. You sort of mentioned this yourself. You know, the more you find out about me, the more complex things become. And what I want to what I want to believe is that that's true for every person that you meet. You know, yes. Uh, and that these identities we carry, we carry them whole, and each of them is to be wholeheartedly respected. Not that we're supposed to be choosing and picking things about people to love and things about people to ignore. And I'm not talking about tolerance here. I'm talking about wholehearted love for everything that you can see about a person, you know? Uh, so those are the kinds of things that I think, uh, that I think the book is about. Yeah. And you've invited us in that way. Like it may be true. And I do agree with you that everybody's like that. You know, the more you dig, the more complex and the more specific that person becomes, but at the same time, not everybody is wearing their heart out in the open like you are to where, you know, you can have a good binge cycle of like Googling something and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, oh, and that and that. And you just you are really to me, your work is such a gift. It completely stands alone. But then going through some of your interviews as well, I'm like, wow, this person, I, I can't help but feel that your soul has a special mission. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I hope it does have a special mission. Yeah. I, I know you have limited time too, um, today. So I want to make sure that we direct people where to get the tradition. They can get it at jerichobrown.com, which is um, a real easy place to get it. But, and I know it's really easy for us to shop online and I do want people to buy the books online. But I love it when people can go to an independent bookstore. If you don't know your your independent bookstore, find out what your local independent bookstore is, not your Barnes & Noble, your local independent bookstore that is only there, that is really there to help build community. It's a business in which if you walk in it, the people there are trying to read. And so that means you're in the right place at the right time because you're among people who want to read and who are willing to invest, invest their money in reading. And so... Um, your local independent bookstore, if you can call and order it from them or go, I like for people to go and say hi to the folks behind the desks at these bookstores and order the book. I think that's really a good step. Nice. And are you at JerichoBrown.com? JerichoBrown.com. Yeah. And you said you're on tour currently, so people can check that schedule and see if you're coming. Yeah, I've I, I got some dates coming up in um, later in, in July and in um, August and September and October. And we're on tour all the way around to April comes again. So it's a year-long thing. So we're going to post some new dates um, soon. Amazing. Amazing. I, I always end with one question and it, you can answer however you like, whatever first comes to mind. But what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Well, my one tip, well, I've sort of already said it. 
if there's something you want to do, then enjoy playing at figuring out how to do it. There's something you want to do. Enjoy playing at figuring out how to do it. Thank you so much. This was thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So what did I tell you? He's awesome, right? Right? Did I lie? No, I did not. I hope that you will go to his website, jerichobrown.com, and check out his calendar. See if he is coming to a city near you, and then that way you can hear his poems read in his own words, which clearly is going to be a million times better than, you know, the hippie witch reading it on her podcast. (laughs) Speaking of the hippie witch podcast... It is now time for a little bit of rock and roll. And thanks again to Johanna Warren for letting us letting us use some of her magic or her music, her magical music. Spirit House Records, her record label, is the official musical sponsor for the Summer of Magic. And so we are playing all music from Johanna's record label Spirit House Records this summer at the end of every episode and today I have for you a song from Portland Oregon's own Forest Vale. So Forest Vale has a song called Moon Mirror off their album Solita and I thought the title alone was actually just kind of perfect for a group of hippie witches. Moon Mirror, because, you know, we're into that kind of thing. But but the song itself is groovy, too. It has something I love. It has really unexpected percussion. There's this strange, surprising way that the cymbal comes in after the song has already been rolling for a moment. And I love when something is right on the edge of not being right but it is right but it's like right on the edge when it defies convention that's what really makes me perk up and pay attention and go oh oh this is different this is cool i like this and that's how i feel about moon mirror by forest Vale. so so here that is have yourself an awesome rest of your day until we meet again much love peace
Thank you. 